Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And I for sure know that this next hour is going to do just that. I am very uh, pleased and honored to have two important folks in our Metro Phoenix and greater Arizona community with us today. We have Kimber Lanning, who is the CEO for Local First Arizona. Welcome back to the studio. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a while. It's been a long while. I'm glad yeah. you're here. I think I've invited and then I'm like, I ghost you and then I invite you and you're, you, we, we finally made it happen. And we're very pleased that Angela Huey's with us as well. She's a co-founder and president for One Community. Welcome, Angela. Happy to be here. I should say welcome back as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Although this is the first time I've had the honor to have both of you in the studio at the same time. It's it's a little bit like a Sasquatch sighting to have us <laughs> in the same place at the same time. That's perfect. You know, it's, I feel it, so special. Nobody's going to believe you. So. <laughs> right. So, but, but they will because it's on LinkedIn right. live via video right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> Good. And Darby's over here with full swing sure video taking photos. So We have to have proof. <laughs> That's right. So we are here um, to have just an important conversation. The timing is critical. We've got a lot of work to do, and we want to make sure that people are aware, involved, and that they're sending their sights on what they and their communities can do on behalf of Arizona and some decisions that need to be made. So let's start, though. Let's back up the train. Let's have each of you introduce yourselves and your organization, and then let's talk about what's coming up in November for us and, and how we can be of great service to each other. Sure. Sounds good. Local First Arizona is a statewide organization that's working to build a more diverse and inclusive Arizona economy. We are the largest local business coalition in the country, and we do a lot of work to help develop entrepreneurs. So we're symbiotic spirits here with the MAC6 uh, community. Uh, we believe that entrepreneurship is our strongest weapon to battle the wealth gap that has erupted across the country. Many people don't realize that Arizona is number two for the wealth gap, that, that distance between our I wealthiest and our poorest communities. And so we are working statewide to help uplift existing businesses, to make them stronger, to create more jobs, as well as the startup community, um, helping people with the resources they need, whether it be information, education, or access to capital to launch a successful business. You know, I, I like to remind people every small business is a family and every family matters. And I know, so Thomas Barr has an opportunity to be in here with us typically once a month for the show that we do together, Arizona Good Business. And I feel like most of his focus has been Greater Phoenix, Metro Phoenix area. Mm. Is that, maybe I'm wrong. I know we talked about Tucson and and I, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a question maybe. Sure. <laughs> I know your focus the last several years has really been to say, this is about Arizona, mm -hmm. right? Uh, am I botching that up? Help clean no. that up. <laughs> so we merged with the Arizona Rural Development Council in 2013. And so I, my work is um, completely straight uh, statewide. We have a team specifically working in rural that's uh, seven people. And then in addition, we have a variety of other programs that intersect in rural. So for example, our sustainability program, which is an entrepreneur training program for those businesses that want to be green or to existing businesses that want to become more green, we're doing that up in the Verde Valley. Um, we expanded our Fuerza Local, which is our Spanish language business accelerator, also up into Cottonwood and Sedona area. 
we have uh, three people up in our Flagstaff office. So we have a variety of programs, um, but we are most definitely statewide. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean that up when I say that in the future. Sure. Uh, and I believe that the, um, the Spanish uh, business group meets here at Max 6 still. Am I right about that? So, yes. What we have is Nivel Ejecutivo, which okay. is Next Level Executive. That is the more advanced Spanish language class. So everyone has gone through Fuerza, and they're doing at least $350,000 a year in sales to qualify to get into Nivelle. And that's who I see here once that's a month, right. I believe. That's exactly okay, right. so good. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else you want to drop for us before Angela has an opportunity to... Well, I think, I think it's just important to remember that small business owners live here in Arizona. They're committed to Arizona and they feel accountable for Arizona, which is why we're such strong partners with other organizations like One Community, because these are our neighbors. They're our friends. There are people that we know from our faith-based institutions, from our schools. And so this is a wave of people who feel accountable for the future of this state. And we are linking arms and saying yes to democracy. Hmm. We could end the show there. Yeah, I was like, you didn't need to have me. <laughs> Of course, of that course. is so not true. <laughs> so not true. So tell us about One Community and about Angela. Sure. It's remarkable to me that we're turning 14 years old. So that's uh, crazy. And uh, Kimber was foolish enough to sit down with me, I think, when we were about a week old. And uh, I'm like, this is what we're doing. She was like, all right, dude, I'm in. It hasn't said no since then. So we're just incredibly grateful for this long, uh, thoughtful, collaborative partnership with Local First Arizona. So we've evolved a lot since uh, we came to market in December of 2008. One Community is a member-based coalition of businesses and organizations and everyday Arizonans moving diversity, inclusion, um, equity, and equality for all of us forward, right? Um, To Kimber's point, when you look at our urban areas and then you look at our more rural areas, we're currently living in really, we like to say, two Arizona's, right? So we have 10 LGBTQ inclusive municipal ordinances in the state now that are, uh, these are cities that understand that diversity inclusion of all Arizonans, including LGBTQ plus Arizonans, um, is the right thing to do and also really good for the sustainability of the municipality. But when we look population-wise, we only cover about 50% of the state. So if you're LGBTQ and you're a traveler uh, to this great state, travel being the number one economic driver in Arizona, then depending on the zip code that you're in, you may or may not have the same rights as your non-LGBTQ counterparts. So we know we can do better. Um, we're thrilled that we've, we've got that number to 50%. We really need to be statewide and inclusive and open and celebrate and respect and protect everyone that lives in this great state and visits this great state. And we believe in our like really deeply thoughtful bipartisan model. Um, and that, you know, so much so that we created the Equality and Fairness for All Americans Coalition this year. So it's really a bipartisan framework so that the United States can really treat everyone fairly and equitably and have equal policy protections as well. So, so not just Arizona, this is that next level. Yeah, well, of course, next level. Right. Um, You're sitting next to Kimber. How could it? How could be? I not? How could we not be next level? But we really believe in bipartisan solutions. We really believe in meeting people where they're at. We believe that LGBTQ freedoms and religious freedoms go hand in hand. That that someone doesn't have to lose something right. so that people that are members of diverse minority communities have a seat at the table and also have equal protections under law. Um, and so we're known for leaning in uh, and having a cup of coffee with anyone or if you don't drink coffee, uh, it's a <laughs> beverage with anyone. Right. Uh, if for whatever reason, you know, you're, you're not into caffeine, that's okay. It's been a remarkable journey. 
and the best is yet to come. Uh, and it's going to probably get pretty bumpy here uh, to get to the best is yet to come part. Excellent so. segue. Yes. So we purposely uh, plan for this particular segment right around now because we are coming up upon a, an election and I'm not as well versed as both of you. So I would love to just open up the floor and let's talk to our listeners and our viewers around what what we're up against and why does it look like it's going to be a difficult road? Yeah. I mean, there's a number of reasons and Kimber, you jump in here when you want. So uh, we have gerrymandering, uh, you know, and so when we did redistricting, which happens um, every 10 years around the census, we don't have a lot of competitive districts, right? And so because of that, we give an overabundance uh, to the primaries and I would say an exclusionary practice and make it really tough for independents um, to vote in the state of Arizona. So the majority of voters in Arizona are like myself. They're registered independent. The majority of independents don't know that they can vote which is in the primary, which is really problematic. Um, and we have additional steps that if you are a registered independent, you have to take so that you can pull either a Democrat or a Republican um, ballot to vote in the primary. And so because of that, we have really, really low uh, independent voter turnout um, in the primary. And so many of our, of our races are really decided in the primary. And so um, because of gerrymandering, because we make it more difficult for independents uh, to vote, we are really putting up more fringe-based candidates when it gets to our general election. And and we have some folks that are running in the state that deny the viability of the 2020 and outcome of the 2020 election. We have people um, that want to take away, you know, um, voting by mail, 75% or more registered Arizonans vote by mail. They want to make it harder for everyday Arizonans to actually let their voice be heard at the ballot box. And so... It's tough. I think it's critically important. We have somebody running for secretary of state right now who has voted by mail for the last 18 years and yet who is now saying voting by mail is not secure and we can't do that anymore. So if you can imagine 7 million people living in Arizona all attempting to stand in line at polling stations and vote in person in one day and how we will possibly do that. So I think it's really important for voters to listen to what these candidates are saying and think about how it will impact their own lives. The other thing that I just want to talk about is, um, you know, and Angela touched on, I just want to underscore independence. I think there's something very interesting going on right now, which is that the Democrats think of independence as moderates, and in the Republicans think of the independents as independents and potential fans, right? And so I don't think we need to be speaking to independents with one uniform voice because it's a bucket, it's a catch-all for everybody that is disenfranchised with the two-party system. So there are extreme candidates on one side or the other that are independent. So we can't speak to them in one tone, and they are going to decide this election. There's no doubt about it. There's not... There's not a race or a proposition out there that likely won't be decided by independents because they're the largest voting bloc now, and they don't have a specific language that speaks to them. So I think we're in a, in a really unique place. I would just also mention that the sheer number of propositions that voters in Arizona are facing this year is staggering, and it's so hard for busy families to really understand what's at stake. So in addition to media opportunities like this, what are your organizations doing to help educate and prepare people? Mm -hmm. 
Well, so we got together uh, and said, you know, we have to have, we have to basically have a web-based convening, right? And so we collaborated and created Your Vote is Your Voice, yourvoteisyourvoice.com, nonpartisan. And it really is a place for everyday Arizonans to educate themselves about these ballot propositions, about the candidates that they're looking at and where they stand on issues that they care about. And because really an educated voter is a really powerful voter, is a really powerful Arizonan. And we want to make sure that, again, folks are really well-educated and so that their vote really is their voice, so that they understand who they're voting for, what these propositions mean um, to their families, to their businesses, and really to the sustainability, Arizona. There's a lot around that. You know, there's so many assumptions that are out there. I just spent last weekend out running a local First Arizona booth in partnership, a Your Vote is Your Voice booth, essentially, at Pride. Of the people I spoke with there, I would say 70% were planning to vote, 30% were not planning to vote, were anti-voting. You know, Uh, one woman actually said to me, if I don't vote, they can't try to tell me for the next two years who stole my vote. I just, I don't want to listen to it anymore, right? So 30% is a pretty large block of people that are disenfranchised. And I would also say people have forgotten, there's a great article in The Atlantic about people are still, we can still persuade each other. There's still the art of civic and civil debate. So, for example, I went to the booth uh, at Pride uh, for the gay Republicans, you know, and I, and I, I just wanted to have a conversation to better understand what their what their primary issues were. Uh, their priorities were number one, the sovereignty of our nation. They feel that our nation is compromised by our southern border, and they felt that fentanyl uh, coming through the border uh, through illegal immigration was their 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 main priority. And that's really difficult, right? Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fact-based person. We know that fentanyl is coming through our legal ports of entry. It's, I mean, families don't have their pockets stuffed with fentanyl when they're trying to cross over to go to work. So you're, we're talking to people who have succumbed to, to fear-based tactics, right? Where they, they really believe there is an invasion occurring and that we are susceptible to some sort of takeover which I just don't believe is true. And their, their second point was, um, was the Second Amendment, right? The right to bear arms. And we tried to have a, a conversation about the logic of having, you know, um, high-speed uh, semi-automatic weapons on the street, right? And, and they felt that it was necessary for everyone to have access because if someone attacks your family using these weapons that you need to be able to defend yourself. The reason I'm sharing this right now on your podcast is because it is so important for each one of us to be able to listen, to use our critical thinking skills, to respond in a civil way. I shook both of their hands. I thanked them for their time and I moved on. And it was insightful to me to have two white gay men who believe and have fallen victim in my mind to these kinds of threats. Now, am I going to say there's no problem on the border? No, we have a significant immigration problem and our politicians have passed the buck for years and decades. So absolutely. But but I do think um, one of the most important things that one community and local first are good at is throwing a broad umbrella and being willing to talk to anyone, being able to listen to their perspective and to help them think critically through the barrage of misinformation that is coming through all kinds of media at this point. Yes. 
<laughs> Not our heads, yes. Well, I was, it, it's, uh, it's so interesting that you were in a booth with gay Republicans. I was in a meeting yesterday with Michael Soto, who just joined our team as our new chief advocacy officer. We, we really saw an opportunity, um, really from an advocacy standpoint, for one community to get even more deeply involved. And we care about issues that are not just about LGBTQ inclusion. We really think that there are bipartisan solutions around DACA and immigration as well, right? And, and said, what have we done here and how can we do more good, right? We have a deep bipartisan business coalition of more than 3,400 businesses, and that's deeply rooted in the, the Unity Pledge. We also have this really, really large faith-based coalition. And uh, we will have a cup of coffee with anyone. We have this really burgeoning, beautiful relationship that's happening um, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we met at the most vulnerable time when the Mesa ordinance uh, last year was um, under attack uh, and put out a joint statement and, and said, how far can we take this relationship? And I think when you meet people when they're vulnerable and you trust them, you know who they are at their core. And, um, you know, for the first time ever, the church came out in support of fully inclusive wow. LGBTQ inclusive policy, not just in employment and housing, but in public accommodations. And we did that in a vulnerable time in a city that is center right, led by a, a really, really remarkable, courageous mayor and city council who believe that everyone should be welcome. And also, again, that LGBTQ inclusion and religious freedom do not have to be oppositional, right? And, and we have been able to force deep friendships with people of faith and I think be impactful um, because we just meet people where they're at and we share our stories and we're not coming into any of these conversations from a place of judgment, right? I also just would, you know, the fact that you now have more inclusivity in Mesa and you have these expanded rights, which everyone else has already had, doesn't mean that anyone else has lost any rights. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's so critically important because people feel that things are being taken away from them. Right. And that's just simply not the case. And so we need to continue to have these dialogues. It, 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 yes, Kimber, it's not a zero sum game, right? You don't have to lose something for me to have the same opportunities, right? Um, and that's why these dialogues are so important. That's why this discussion is so important. That's why this commitment to your vote is your voice. Um, I think this year and moving forward is so important. And I feel that we are really getting our sea legs. We are doing it um, in an incredibly important election, but also that this will lead to additional educational opportunities of just like, what is your civic duty as an Arizonan? We want you to step up. We want your voice to be heard. And this, it, this whatever this is, isn't someone else's problem, number one. Um, this is about all of us. And you absolutely can be a part of the solution, right? I think giving people accessibility to doing things that are actionable and feel good and teaching people that they absolutely have a place at whatever table it is, in whatever discussion it is, I think is a really important part of what we have to do organizationally. And I believe what we will continue to do as we delve deeper with Your Vote is Your Voice and this educational platform we've created together. What role can a business owner play in education? Do you see a role for a C-level executive or, or someone who maybe even just has a very small team? How would you encourage someone like that to get involved and lead? Yeah, I'll share uh, just a little thing that I did uh, myself as a business owner. Take off my local first hat. I'm also a small business owner. I put a two foot by two foot sign on the front door of my store that says, you are entering a woman owned business. Please vote. Vote because these things are on the ballot. You know, democracy, um, privacy. These are important issues. And if you don't know 
how to vote. If you don't know about the proposition, if you don't know, don't be embarrassed. Just ask us at the counter. And I've printed out what I call a cheat sheet that has information in a nonpartisan, just factual information on all the different propositions um, at the front counter. So my staff doesn't feel that they're trying to encourage someone to vote a certain way. We are just actively out there reminding people to vote. So I printed off 10 of them and I took them to a lot of my other women-owned businesses. But that's just one small example about what a business owner can do. Also, with our team, we're very careful on the language. I'm not telling my team how to vote. What we did, I also am very, I think it's important for owners to recognize hierarchy within your company. Even if you work really hard, you have to be sensitive to the fact that you are still the owner. And people, if you're asking them to vote, they still may be feeling pressured Mm -hmm. by you or somehow that they're going to be retaliated against. So we created, uh, you know, a fingerprintless Google Doc where anybody can go and look at this information if they want to. So I didn't email the information to anyone. I notified them all. Here's where you find it. Go look at it if you want. And uh, and that's just the way that we encourage them through education to be actively engaged. Well, and, and uh, here's something cool you can do too if you're a business owner, no matter what size the business is. If 75% of people are voting by mail, that means 25% of people aren't, right? Give your team the day off on, you know, mm-hmm. on Tuesday, November 8th, right? Uh, and I, I mean, I, I think I would love to see, you know, every election day actually be a holiday, right? A paid holiday. I think that that would make a great deal of sense. Um, to Kimber's point, encourage that civic participation and encourage people how to vote and also do it in a nonpartisan way um, because we don't want people to feel pressure, right? Um, pressure to vote a certain way. We want people, I think, to understand the remarkable power um, and responsibility and accountability that they have to make their voice heard at the ballot box. Fascinating. Who uh, Are you aware of what other businesses are doing on ideas? I mean, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. And I'm a women-owned business right here at Business mm-hmm. Radio X, so I can't wait to... Well, I want to throw it out there. I I have an extra one in my car. I'm taking it. it There you go. (laughs) We've got some of your voters, your voice signs too, Karen. And I I, I did mine. In fact, maybe Daryl can pop out and grab it. Yeah, I love it. But I want to throw it out there too. Like if any business wants any of the your voters, your voice um, collateral, um, and we have really cool postcards and, you know, they take you directly to your voters, your voice.com. I mean, we will, we will deliver these to any door, um, not just in the Valley, but I think anywhere throughout the state too. I mean, it's it's really important that we understand that this is about encouraging everyone in the state of Arizona. If you'll make sure that we have some here, right? The the cool posters, and then you have some we have postcards. postcards. We have we have uh, you know really cool stickers, and the, everything has a QR code. We'll take you directly to your voteisyourvoice.com. Yeah. It's a really just thoughtful, easy website, and of course, everything is nonpartisan. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna admit that in past elections, um, being that I am busy at owning businesses and you know coming up with excuses right now for you, but that's the way I thought in the past. I would be familiar with a handful of propositions and I would vote on those. And then I wouldn't take time to research and educate myself on the others. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that out loud because I'm quite certain that I'm not the only one. Absolutely. And you know, what else is those pesky judges? I mean, it's so hard to know. (laughs) And I Um, I go blind looking at it. And and now we see the damage judges can do, right? With our our rights. So I think it's really important that people educate themselves on the judges. So those are included in the cheat sheet that I mentioned, just voting records. This person is in support of this and has traditionally ruled against this, uh, just so people know. And it's it's just, um, it's factual information 
for everything from the on the website, and then we get to just make a decision. That's right. And then take that to our vote. That's right. And a naive question. I, I am the person who does like to physically go stand in line and mm-hmm. vote early in the morning. There's just something very patriotic for me for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am allowed to bring a cheat sheet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I did that for, I was a really, I was, I used to have these, you know, beautiful patriotic moments um, until things started getting so ugly. And it's not worth it to me to listen to racist remarks. Um, I was no longer feeling patriotic. So I think it's so important for people to have the option, right? And now I vote by mail and, um, and, and I'm okay with that. Are you familiar with the timeline? Can you share the timeline for voting by mail? I I don't know. Oh, goodness. I think it's like another, there's another two weeks. Um, and we can share some information too. So when you do vote by mail, there is a Maricopa, if you're, um, in Maricopa County, you can text, uh, so that Maricopa County, uh, tells you that they have received your ballot. Um, and so, well, I'll, I'll actually look at, Talk for 30 seconds and I'll look this information up for us. So Angela had mentioned the fearless mayor of Mesa, Mayor John Giles, who has been remarkable. I just stood with him last week in support of Prop 308, which is going to allow dreamers, essentially, you can call them DACA or dreamers, uh, to be able to access in-state tuition rates to go to college. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have to have gone to an Arizona high school and graduated, and they have to have been there at least two years. Um, Again, good and legitimate question. There was a gentleman in the audience who said, isn't this choice just going to encourage illegal immigration, that people will come over to try to access our colleges? Well, you know, my response to that is, High school kids generally don't come across the border to enroll in our high schools so that in two years they can go to college here. There's no pattern of that. And, you know, and he kept insisting, well, you know, a 30-year-old man coming across the border is not going to be able to enroll in Arizona's high schools. What we're trying to do is provide, these are Arizona's kids. They're Arizona's kids. Uh, Many of them have never even been to the nation where their parents came from, and they might have been here since they were an infant. And they have worked hard. They have gone through, they have graduated from high school, and they deserve to have access to the same rates as other Arizona kids. And so there's Mayor John Giles and also Mayor Kate Gallego from the city of Phoenix standing there advocating. A lot of wonderful business leaders making the economic case. It's not just a moral case. It's not it's not a, you know, a sad story um, that we're trying to, this is an, this is the future of Arizona. We have a workforce shortage right now. Why wouldn't we want to take these Arizona kids and give them the access to affordable college? Kimber's right. They're our talent pipeline, right? Um, and when you look at millennials and you look at Gen Z, uh, overwhelmingly these, these two generations, which are the business and community leaders of tomorrow, Absolutely. Number one, they're the most, the two most culturally diverse generations in America's history. Um, and inclusion is a top driver for them. So that's why inclusive policy is so important too. There's a good economic business sense, but if we really want the top talent to stay here, we can bring business in, you know, you can have business expansion and, and uh, you know, from other states coming, you know, folks, you know, that, and from other, from other, you know, countries with uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. But if, if we can't get top talent, uh, we're going to have a, a real problem. And we we have a talent shortage right now, mm-hmm. right? And so when you look at the Dreamers, this is a 
just a common sense solution, right? These kids have been educated in this great state. They are Arizonans. They are our kids. And we want them to raise their families and have their professional careers here. We don't want to dissuade them from staying in Arizona. We want to, this is where their history is. This is, you know, where their lives have been spent. And to Kimber's point, it's all they know. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's their home. Right. It's our home. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You and I, prior to coming on air, um, we had talked about Stephen Zalstra Mm -hmm. and Arizona Technology Council. I was happy to hear that they are members of one community. Um, What other large organizations would you like to see become part of one community? Are there, are there, are those white, are there, you're like, well, that's a bold question to ask. I don't think there's, there's no one. I would like to see every business (laughs) uh, become a one community business member. And we're so fortunate, right? I mean, and and by the way, if you're a locally owned business, we have a reciprocating discount on our memberships, right? So if you're a local first business member, you get a discounted one community business membership and vice versa. Do I get a badge too? When I, you know, like, I get get a badge. We might have a, we might have a, like those marathons, yeah. yes, right. Yeah. Those, 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 when you do your marathon and you you like the Disney marathons, I do this one and this one, this yeah. one. I get a certain like so, certain medal. That's what I we there need to yeah. earn that medal. That's there good. But, I mean, Apple is a one community business member, um, you know, and so fantastic. and and they they've been fantastic. Um, PetSmart is one of our. I'm doing a presentation on socially responsible business advocacy um, this coming Friday to um, advertising agencies, and uh, the whole presentation is really about social responsible, uh, just the the business reason on why corporations cannot stay on the sidelines. And my wonderful example is PetSmart, which is, you know, corporate headquarters here in Arizona. And they have been with us during SB 1062. They're on calls with elected officials when we're talking about, you know, um, bipartisan solutions and policy in the state of Arizona and federally they they really walk the walk and and are fully inclusive. And there's a new U.S. Chamber report that came out about two months ago. It's something like seven out of 10 businesses believe in LGBTQ inclusive policy, but also are willing to lose business because of it. And PetSmart was, uh, you know, there was an attempted victimization uh, by this really bad guy that came after folks at Target and then walked into PetSmart and he is very, very homophobic and, and, you know, was just trying to really upset people. And what was so great about PetSmart is they said, we treat everyone fairly. We believe in belonging. We are absolutely proud to have our LGBTQ pride flag up. It's up all the time. Asked the gentleman to leave. He was saying some really horrible things. But then at the end, he's like, Petco is okay with all these things. And they're like, no, no, no. We're pet smart. Not only, yeah. So they're like, we, we really don't agree with you know. You've been in here on this really bad rant for five uh, minutes, and it's it's harmful. But by the way, get the name right because <laughs> because we stand for inclusion right. and we are proudly pet smart. So um, yeah, that's just kind of my story about pet smart. I love it. And you mentioned Apple as well. So yeah. I think this is a great time to, again, delineate between the two organizations. You run in the same lane for a lot of things, and you also represent businesses differently. So, Kimber, go back to local first, if you will, and why is it so important to vote, or excuse me, not only vote lo- mm-hmm. locally, but mm-hmm. shop locally sure. uh, as kind of a counterpoint uh, to what Angela just shared about these larger enterprises that are in huge support of what you're doing. But let's talk local. Sure. So, we have several reasons. Um, many people don't think about the fact that the way they spend their money actually impacts the way their communities grow. So, when you choose to spend a locally at a locally owned business, three times more of your money stays and recirculates. Three times more. Well, that's right. And 
you know, when you hire a, you know, when you, let's say you buy a latte at a local coffee shop, that local coffee shop in turn has a local graphic designer, a local website developer, a payroll service provider, or accountant. So those are examples of when dollars stay. It's like people understand the concept of diversifying your portfolio, right? You, you want to keep your dollars recirculating as broadly as you can. So when you choose local over corporate, you're keeping more dollars here locally. When you spend with corporate, um, they're not going to hire those low. Every, occasionally they might, but it, you know, a big company that's headquartered in another state is not likely going to hire a small graphic designer or website developer in the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you play this out and you think to yourself, okay, so how is anyone going to be a graphic designer or a website developer, an accountant in rural America if we don't spend locally? You know, people forget we're in a consumer-driven economy. We turn on the nightly news and we, we're convinced that the economy is something far away from us that somebody else is going to control. Whoever's in the presidency has a minuscule impact on how the impact, how the economy is actually performing. We are the ones who are voting and setting policy by the people we vote, and we are the ones who are spending the money that drives the economy. So the choices we make actually do matter, and it's just far too easy to blame whoever's, you know, in 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 the White House at this particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not defending whoever's in the White House. It would be this: other people would blame the last person who was in the White House. My point is, we are in a consumer-driven economy, and we have much more control than we think that we do. So we like to keep uh, dollars recirculating uh, with companies that are here locally. In addition, local business create the culture and unique flavor that makes us proud of our hometown. And, and that's something that people need to be reminded of too. You know, if, if, I, um, if I asked a million people from Chicago why they love Chicago, they would tell you the locally owned businesses. They would say, I had the same barber for 40 years. They would say, I used to jump into that cafe and they'd say, hey, Steve, you want the regular? You know, they, they'd tell us all kinds of local stories about why they love Chicago. And yet that same person can move to Arizona and throw that behavior out the window and end up at only big box stores and never put roots here. I submit, if we're going to fix our biggest challenges in the state of Arizona, first we need to build a community that feels accountable for it. Do you feel like we're moving in that direction? I've owned the studio for five years now, and I've been blessed to have folks like you who are really different make difference makers and voices across a lot of different verticals and industries. And it feels to me like it's shaping up a lot, that we're, we're finally starting to sing from the same sheet of music. Are you yeah. feeling that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, just think about it. When, when I went to high school here, people were scratching and clawing to get out of here. We didn't used to have, I tell my younger staff, do not take those PHX tattoos for granted. Right. They didn't used to exist. The whole State 48 movement, I mean, it is, it's yeah, it's emotional for me yeah. having dedicated my life to uh, making people feel accountable and proud of the two-thirds of us came from somewhere else. We have got to welcome new people in and make them love this place the way we do. So, and it's happening. It, it is happening. Yeah, and I want to um, uh, say something too from an accountability and a business standpoint too. So when we came into 2022, we really wanted to encourage 
um, you know, folks at the Capitol to not run divisive bills. And so we were proactive and had a letter called It's Time to Unite, Not Divide. And 250 businesses and organizations of all shapes and sizes signed that letter. And it was large corporate entities. But 75% of the of the businesses and organizations that signed onto that letter were smaller locally owned businesses too. And so for us, this is a straddle, right? Yep. Um, we need to make sure that we are reaching and, and, and talking to everyone that will have a cup conversation with us. And there are different levers, um, in particular, when we're talking from uh, an LGBTQ inclusive advocacy standpoint, right? I think one of the things that's most encouraging is the amount of locally owned businesses that actually signed on. Um, When we really started putting letters out probably four or five years ago, it typically was larger corporate entities that, you know, had a public policy committee. And what you're seeing is really businesses and organizations of all shapes and sizes saying, my voice matters. Yes, we 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 want accountability and we want to we want to be on the record saying that we support um, an inclusive Arizona. Mm-hmm. Mm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and it makes so much sense that both organizations just again run parallel and support each other. You mentioned 14 years for you. Yeah. And, and I I know I should know this and you may it's have okay. said it. We're we're gonna hit 20 <sighs> in the first quarter of next year. So Wow. Yeah, it's shocking. <laughs> Can you take us back? I would love for both of you to do this, but let's start with Kimber. Take us back to when this seed was planted on your heart and in your mind, because you really said a few moments ago that your entire life has been dedicated to that PHX or that AZ mm-hmm, tattoo mm-hmm. or sticker, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about just do you recall? Do you remember? I'll give you sort of a succinct high-level overview. Uh, my, I'm very fortunate. So my family landed here in 1968 when my father was transferred from Kandana Air Force Base on Okinawa, where I was born, to Luke Air Force Base. My grandparents on both sides were very entrepreneurial. My mom self-employed. My father was a jazz musician when he wasn't in the military. They used to throw the kids in the van and drive around Arizona. Uh, and so by the time I was 10 years old, I'd visited 10 Arizona lakes. And when we did that, I didn't know it was unusual, but my mother was reaching out to all the little tiny bed and breakfast, the little, you know, independent, every, we had friends and family all over the state because of the connections we made when we traveled. I didn't know that that wasn't what everybody was doing, right? <laughs> we, we never stayed in a, in a big, large name brand hotel ever. And they would look forward to seeing us year after year after year. I mean, it was about relationships, right? And so when I started my business came the second wave is in the music industry is as, as really corrupt and biased as any industry out there. And so as a little independent trying to struggle and survive when Warner Brothers and Best Buy are negotiating a deal behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. I was just fighting for me and all my other local business uh, colleagues, uh, my local record store colleagues, to have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Then when I opened up Modified Arts on Roosevelt Row, it was the third wave of opening the door and uh, recognizing that local municipal policy mm-hmm. is totally slanted against preserving old buildings and uh, supporting local enterprises. So, you know, there's three different levels of life experience that led me to the point of starting Local First. I never have heard that backstory before. I'm so glad I asked. Sure. And and for me, it was 1979. So just a handful of years after you, my dad got transferred with Litton Electronics ah, and came mm-hmm. out here. We were supposed to be here just for two years. 
And my dad uh, fell in love with it. And so he raised the four of us here. And instead of a van, we were driving around the panel station wagon. Uh, and we did the same thing. We we had the panel station wagon <laughs> yeah. first. And then we went to the van. <laughs> ours was green. Ours yeah, was ours the olive was blue green. Yeah. And the, the wood paneling. And when I got my driver's license, I went through the the um, ATM or the, the, the what, else, what do you call it, the teller. Uh, and I ripped off the side paneling. And my dad's like, we're going to get you a smaller car. <laughs> Do you remember those back seats in that? that oh, yeah. Crazy. I have such distinct <laughs> memories of riding to Big Surf in the very yeah, back seat yes, facing backwards. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, when Big Surf closed, I shed a tear. Yes. And, and are you Arizona original or are you a transplant no, as well? I grew up in a small Midwestern uh, farming community, Ross, Ohio. It had one stoplight. It's tripled in size. It has three now. Uh, and my parents' hobby was Arabian horses. And so uh, just an outdoorsy kid that grew up on 23 acres. And, you know, we only came in when they called us because, you know, it was dark outside. And so, yeah. you know, we slept under the stars and it was really amazing. And so in the early 80s, we started coming out with, um, to Scottsdale because of the big shows and right. sales. And um, uh, my parents fell in love with Arizona. And so they moved us out here in the mid-80s, sold the horses. <laughs> and I went from 23 acres to I'm like, what's that like wall in the back? backyard. And why are we having Thanksgiving dinner on like the back patio? I was deeply disenfranchised. And why is everybody's yard gravel and Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I was just like, I mean, it was, it was definitely a culture shock, but um, we love it. And and, it was deeply infested. A lucky day for Arizona when her family landed here. (laughs) For sure. And then, so tell us, what had, why one community? community? Yeah. Um, I think, so my background's media. And yeah, and I was actually working in the Hispanic community. um, And I always thought there were so many parallels between the Hispanic community and the LGBTQ community. I had a number of Hispanic community relations peers um, that I worked with um, in the work I was doing, and they all went through title changes. They all became multicultural community relations managers. Mm -hmm. And I was out, which was not the norm 15, 16 years ago at work um, and out to my friends. And, you know, uh, and I just was like, do you have money for the gay community? And they were all like, well, you know, I work for conservative healthcare company XYZ and we have money, but like, I'm like, what are you doing with it? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, we don't understand the diversity that is the LGBTQ community. And, you know, again, we're like a pretty center-right company. And I can't, from an advertising standpoint, I can't get clearance to place like a an ad next to like a 1-800-GAY-CHAT ad. And, and so my partner, Sherry and I, remarkably, it's going to be 29 years, at lots of hills and valleys in our relationship. But we always used to just be like, we're just not gay enough, right? I'm like, we didn't feel like the advertising vehicles that were available, like really authentically represented who we were. Um, uh, and everything was, I think, very male dominated and lots of swimsuits and tight chests and what have you. And so we're like, there's a need. And and actually what we're seeing is businesses and organizations that are midsize and larger that have a very large voice and very large seat at the table in Arizona actually have a spend for the LGBTQ community, but they need guidance and they don't know what to do with it. And so we sat at our dining room table and wrote the business plan for one community for about a year and a half. And marriage equality came to the state of California um, and uh, we emptied out our 401k uh, and put all, (laughs) yeah, too naive to know that we could fail, which still exists in this head of mine, which is a good thing and gets me in all kinds of really good trouble. But um, emptied out the 401k, uh, went to California, got married, and 
first day of our honeymoon, launched the first one community website and the stock market, uh, you know, the stock market crash happened like the next day. And it was like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Uh, because we put all of our eggs in this basket. Um, but, but I think that we were born in this really adverse time and we've always found opportunity during adverse times. And so the reality was no matter who you were, during the Great Recession, no one had too much business. And so we used to talk a lot when I was working in the Latino community about myth versus reality. And the myth was everyone came here last night and has an issue with paperwork. The reality is if you look at Arizona's Hispanic community, the vast majority of Hispanics uh, that live in the state of Arizona are second, third, fourth, fifth generation Americans and are better educated than their non-Hispanic counterparts. That wasn't the story 15, 16 years ago. Still, unfortunately, not the story today, but that's the reality, right? And when you looked at the LGBTQ community, the myth was, you know, we're all swinging from a chandelier, but the other myth was we have more money than God. And I'm like, we're going to go with more money than God and we're going to educate people. And so I would just put my little business suit on and I would go in and um, I'm pretty good from a humorous standpoint and would sit down with these CEOs that were just very uncomfortable. And I would say things like, I'm so sorry, I forgot to wear my, you know, blank chaps today, or <laughs> I love, you know, and, and, you know, would say that everyone that drives a Subaru obviously is a member of the LGBTQ community. And so we would just like really crack people up. But just soften the conversation. Totally soften it up. Yeah. Right. And and have my little business suit on. And, and, I, and I'm like, here's who we really are. And we're this really diverse community. And, you know, we went with one community because we're the most culturally diverse community in the world. We are every faith. We're every socioeconomic background. Um, we're every culture. Um, we're from everywhere. We are every Everywhere. We are every person's neighbor. You know, we really are. Sister, brother, friend, yeah. co-worker. Um, and I, I think conceptually, because we weren't LGBTQ exclusive, because we've always been LGBTQ inclusive, right? And made this very much a conversation about our actionable allies and, and our belief and knowledge that we are a part of every community. We are local business owners yeah. and, and socially responsible entrepreneurs. And we are members, again, of every culturally diverse community. We did not wait for a seat at the table. We created vehicles like the multicultural conversation with the candidates for mayor. Remember when we did yeah, that yeah. one? Yeah, was Oh, great. that was... And we, we were able to get, what, 25, 26 culturally diverse organizations to participate in one conversation. Wow. And it was, it was, I mean, that it shook people that we were bringing all of our diverse communities and the local business community into the same room. But, you know, that's, that's who Arizona is. We've been a minority majority in five of our 15 counties since 2008. This isn't new. We are a culturally diverse, um, just richly diverse populace. And that's what makes this state so unique and so great. And that's why we call ourselves one community, right? Beautiful. So good. I, I really, Don't get me started. No, hey, this party's just getting started. Actually, it's just getting ready to end, <laughs> at least for this this time. Wow. So, so honored to have both of you here. And um, these conversations need to continue. <laughs> your vote, your voice. Your vote is your voice. Your vote is your voice.com. Yep. yep. It's a dot com? Dot com. Yeah. You mentioned, and I know you do it plenty, you go out and you educate. Mm -hmm. Are there opportunities for you and your teams to go out to an organization or a company mm -hmm. if there's, right? So if they, they want to have you come and do a presentation, we can make those Absolutely. arrangements. <laughs> That's how I started Local First. You know, the first six years, it was just me. And there was no gig too big or too small. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I had my 
slide presentation, the old day, big old fat laptop, you know, and your own projector. projector. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't care if it was like a soccer mom meeting or sold You're out there. at the Orpheum. I was like zipping across this state. And so I would be more than happy to go talk to business owners about what we do, about how they can be more engaged. In fact, I'll tell you a fun story. A gentleman just reached out to me. He's taking over his father's business. His father's generation was entirely focused on growing the company out across the country. And he's like, but we've lived here now. What are we doing for Arizona? Nobody even knows we're an Arizona-based company. Mm -hmm. If I could tell you how many times I hear that from business owners. Sure. And so we sat down together and had a conversation about how we can help him almost rebrand as an Arizona company and be rooted here. What can he do? And people are starting to say, hey, wait a minute. What... What am I doing? What? How could I do better? I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I want you to brag on your team a little bit because 20 years ago it was Kimber. <laughs> and now you have, I mean, Thomas and I have touched base a couple of times. And by the way, the light in his eyes when he talks about how big the team is, because I know you kind of have accordioned in and out over the years, especially I think going into COVID or something. No, it's been a pretty straight. Has it? It's okay. been a straight, yeah. We might have, have leveled off, but we, we uh, I was very proud during COVID. We did not, okay. we pivoted our events people into other roles. We did not let even a single person go. But, um, but yeah, we are, we just hired our four. 49th person. So here, and here again, we are. statewide, we're, we're right. really talking about that growth yeah. and um, very exciting. And I've had a chance to see some of your teammates highlighted and I've gotten to know a few of them. You really do have a dynamic team who I, really are all about Arizona and it. local businesses. Yeah. I'm so fortunate. Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. You built an amazing team. Your team. Is there a team? Yeah, there, there is. There's four of us, but so we're, we have a little bit different dynamic. So we, they're all local business owners. We have uh, an events management team that runs all of one community's events, but they own their own organization. Um, we'll be announcing Full Swing Studios because we've been Yay. storytelling with Darby for three years and we are, um, you know, the the uh, majority partner in Full Swing Studios and we're really, we want to lift Darby up and also He's make amazing. sure that, mm-hmm. you know, storytelling capabilities are available to businesses and organizations of all uh, of all shapes and sizes, right? So the whole concept between, uh, you know, behind Full Swing is high quality video at prices you can afford, right? Like this, because this opportunity to tell your story should be accessible to everyone. Yep. Um, we've worked alongside OH Strategic. They're our strategy and comms team. They are absolutely a part of the One Community team. They've been, you know, walking alongside of us and keeping me out of most of the, our trouble uh, for like over a decade now. So we accordion based on the event size that we're in. We have a wonderful local graphic designer that has been with us for many years, but we don't have so much that has to be, we really piece things out. Yeah. And so we get the, we're the size that we need to be, when you need um, to be based it. on, yeah, the event and then love supporting these businesses and sending more business to them too. I would love to have a shout out for the graphic designer if you have that yeah. pr- prepared. Who's, who is that? Oh, Cultural Sponge. Yeah, Perfect. Heather Brown at Cultural Sponge. She's amazing. And I mean, I remember meeting her at Copper Star Coffee years ago and she's just cool. She's like, I think what you do is just like really cool. And I so, you know, she responds to all of my emails regardless of the time of the day. <laughs> that's that's impressive. Heather is amazing. Yeah. And Darby, uh, Full Swing Studios is right across from where my studio is. Yeah. And he and I are working on a collaborative project that we'll be doing in November together. And uh, it's just really fun to get to know him and, and just resonate on the the art and, and creation 
Well, and if I can just brag for just a moment, because our biggest event of the year is our Spotlight on Success Local Heroes Awards. Our first ever ally honoree 12 years ago was this really cool person named Kimber Lanning. And we are absolutely over the moon um, to be really lifting Kimber up. Uh, She's our unity agent this year. I think you're going to like what we came up with. And Friday. Next next Friday. Friday Next Friday. The 28th. 28th. Friday. October 28th. It's quite an honor. I'm going to be out of town. Otherwise, I would absolutely be there. Yeah, really special. So good. All right. So we're winding down. Your vote is? Your voice. Your voice.com. I had to get the is in there. And yes. Yeah. And and we'll bring the swag to you. It's really cool. Um, We want to make this easy. Any business. Not just me, but anybody. To anyone. So any business that, you know, wants to have the posters or the stickers or the postcards for their customers that walk through their doors, just let us know. Shoot us an email at info at onecommunity.com and we'll make sure someone drives um, the information uh, out to you. And if we're feeling stuck and we're not sure how we can yeah. show up uh, as a business owner, an employee or whatever, reach out to you guys and, and you'll help us find our way. Of Absolutely. Course. Yeah. Absolutely. Happy to help. And no one should be embarrassed. This is hard stuff. I mean, there's three voter suppression bills that are cleverly disguised as other things that will just make it more difficult to vote. There, I mean, there is not a person in Arizona that won't be directly impacted by the outcomes of this election. Mm-hmm. Is there on the website or or are there opportunities for someone who feels like it's overwhelming to have somebody kind of uh, um, like a webinar or a, a time and place where we come together? You know, we've talked about uh, doing that. And so I think Kimber just nodded at me and apparently we're going to do that. <laughs> so we're yes, doing tomorrow. I guess we're going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> Pla- planning, planning that? <laughs> That's what you're planning? No, no. Uh, we just no, decided like, right we'll now. We'll just do it. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I love that. Uh I'm, you know, I'm the audiobook girl. It's just to yeah. get me to sit down and actually read a book, although I love the, t- the, the, you know, the touch and the feel of a book. I just, when I'm running or hiking, I'm listening to books. And so I feel like the same thing to look at a website. I've got to really commit, which I will, especially now I'm, I'm saying it out loud to both of you who I <laughs> greatly respect. And, and at the same time, it's helpful for me to have someone teach and guide me so, uh, yes, I look forward to whatever you come up with tomorrow night. <laughs> Great. You know, and I'm happy to just call you at like one o'clock in the morning and leave you long voice messages. <laughs> I I'm ex- one proposition I'm ex- at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I expect at least one of those phone calls. I, I can't say that I'll answer at one o'clock, but I'll wake up to the voicemail. Yeah, it's, it's all about well, you the can, audio. You can run on yeah, the audio of Kimber's voice, right? <laughs> I love it. You have 10 new messages. <laughs> Oh my God, that would be better than some of the 10 new messages I've received in in past lives. So I'll take your voice over some of the other ones. This has been a real treat. I'm, again, I genuinely respect both of you and and the way in which you're showing up for our community. We are one community. We are. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneur Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.